It's time for the PowerMizzou.com podcast with interviews and analysis of your Missouri Tigers. Now, here's your host, Gabe DeArmond. Welcome back to the PowerMizzou.com podcast. Missouri at Georgia this weekend. We're going to preview that one in a little bit, but uh, Brian Austin here with me, Gabe DeArmond, and on the phone, uh, basketball season is getting going, and there's a lot of excitement really on both sides of that for Missouri this year. So we're bringing in women's basketball coach Robin Pinchton. And, Coach, how you doing today? I'm doing great. How are you guys? We are fantastic. Uh, you know, the sun might eventually return to Columbia, and that would make everybody a little bit happier. But um, you guys are, I, I guess, a couple weeks into practice and, and gearing up. This is the time of year coaches uh, coaches really like. Oh, it is. It's uh, the time of the year the coaches love and the players just can't wait for that first game. But things are going really well. The girls are working extremely hard. Um, I thought that first week of practice, you know, we really practiced at a high level. Uh, That second week you saw some fatigue set in, some sore muscles that we're trying to just continue to plow through. But girls have been great. It's great to have Jordan Ferricks back on the court um, along with obviously the rest of the gang. So uh, we're really looking forward to the opportunities this season. Uh, you mentioned Jordan Frerichs, Coach. Just how's she doing coming back from that knee injury? Is she at 100% yet? You know, I would say she's at about 95%, and I think that last 5% is just, uh, you know, the opportunity to get out there and get her timing back. Uh, she looks as strong and as explosive as she's ever looked. Um, and I think more of that is just the timing and feeling comfortable out there. But no doubt in my mind with three more weeks before our first game that, um, you know, she'll be at 100% before we head to Iowa City for our opener. And that, I mean, realistically, that's like signing a a top 100 type recruit for you guys. I mean, you played all year without her and, and then get her back just on the floor. How big a boost is that? Oh, it's just huge for us. You know, I've the last couple of years, um, just the way it's worked out, we've been really blessed. We've had a couple of uh, fifth-year seniors, and I just think that maturity level, uh, that experience, it helps so much. And, you know, Jordan's always been a great leader, one of our hardest workers, and certainly, I mean, she averaged a double-double and all SEC players, so to have her back for another year, uh, definitely with the experience that everybody else got last year, I think it's huge for us. Uh, along the lines of injured players, I was amazed when, uh, you know, Bree Porter is is on your roster and giving it another shot. I mean, I don't know if I can think of an athlete really in any sport who has been through more health-wise. How's she doing? And, and I mean, what what can you expect out of her this year? I tell you what, she's been through an awful lot. And uh, I don't know that we've updated our, our uh, website yet, but we have decided to go ahead and medically hardship her, okay. uh, which will still allow her to travel with our team. And, you know, I can't emphasize enough the value that she brings to that locker room. Um, unfortunately, after going through five ACLs, I think that was one Jeez. that, um, you know, her heart was saying, I want to give it one more shot. And her mind was saying, is this really a good idea? And so we just really drug our feet on that one and, you know, let her just go through that mentally, that process and see where it took or two but I really thought this could possibly be the landing point for her but even though she won't be on the court she'll be a huge part of our team this year. Uh, Sophie Cunningham's a a household name really across the country just what have you seen from her over this first two weeks of camp um, as improvements maybe going into her junior season? 
You know, it's really quite remarkable. Um, both her and Sierra or Sierra Porter, mm-hmm. um, what they're able to do, uh, despite the fact of having unlimited practice time in the off season. And, you know, they're just both high basketball IQ kids. Um, Sophie, uh, out because of her back, Sierra Porter, we're just really trying to limit, uh, the pounding on that knee, knowing that she's only got X amount of mileage left on it. But, you know, I've just been so impressed with Sophie's just been competing and we all know, you know, the lights go on. She's one of the, the biggest competitors mm-hmm. around, but you know, she's really raised the bar in practice. I think she set the tone and I think, you know, being a junior now, um, just with her sister gone, really stepping up into a leadership role for us. Did anybody outside your program know, uh, you know, how limited and, and what she was fighting through last year injury wise? I don't think so. You know, we didn't talk about it a lot. Um, but it is, it's remarkable. You know, two summers ago, Sophie had some, just some, just odd injuries. And so that really limited her off season, you know, and that's where you do a lot of your skill development at. And then through the course of the season, we really had to limit her practice time because of her back. Um, and so for her to do what she did at such a high level is just absolutely remarkable. And I know this off season was so important to get her some rest and she's worked really hard at her physical therapy. I think she's feeling as good as she ever has and, and really playing at a high level for us. Uh, getting transfers from Kansas isn't something that happens at Mizzou very often, doesn't seem like. But, uh, yeah, Lauren Aldridge all last season working with you guys, getting used to the program. How, how's she looking now that she's, she knows she's going to be on the floor playing with everybody? She looks fantastic. Um, you know, I know her days are full. Uh, that's, I don't know how many people are aware of this, but, you know, she was accepted into law school. And so wow. she's in first-year law school classes right now, which that's typically that toughest year. And so her plate is so full, um, you know, from sunrise to sunset, but she manages it so well. And what we're seeing on the court right now is just uh, great consistency uh, at that point guard position, great decision-making, does a tremendous job of pushing the ball in transition, but has that pulse and and understands when she's got to settle things down. She shoots it really well, uh, and she defends really well. So that's a huge addition for us. You ever coached a law student before? I don't think I have. <laughs> that's, uh, I don't think I have. That's the first. Yeah, that's a heck of a commitment. We're talking with uh, women's basketball coach Robin Pinchton. And, Coach, kind of big picture for you. Um, they, first off, and and I know coaches kind of hesitate to, to say yes to a question like this, but do you feel like this is your most complete team at Missouri? I think we have a chance. You know, it is interesting. We lost three seniors last year that had – a lot of game experience. There were three perimeter starters and um, really did some great things for us on the court and in the locker room. And so, you know, even though we've got, um, you know, maybe like the the cornerstone pieces, uh, if you will, returning, you know, you think about Jordan Frerichs, who is an all-SEC player, Sophie Cunningham, Sierra Porter, Amber Smith. We still lost three really talented perimeter kids that had a lot of a lot of experience. But you know, I like our young kids. I think uh, we're maybe more athletic than we have been in the past. We've got a little more depth at that post position. We do have a little bit of lack of experience in the depth uh, position on that perimeter. But I think if they continue to work as hard as they have been doing, and, and we continue to see the growth, we got a chance to have a pretty special year. Now, two years ago, you guys kind of kind of snuck up on some people. Then last year, obviously, a little bit more on the radar, and and you had some huge wins and and won a game in the tournament and all that. Um, are you 
Now, do your kids have to deal with, do you talk to them at all about going from the hunter to being a little bit more of the hunted now that they're a little bit more known on a, a conference and a national stage? Well, I really appreciate that. But, you know, and I, I'm really proud of the success we've had, but a long way from being satisfied. And there's yeah. so much more out there and, you know, that, that we want to, to, to raise our program to, to be at. So, you know, I think in all of our minds, we're still the hunter and yeah. uh, we've still got a lot of work to do. Uh, really excited about the growth um, of our program and the success that we've had. And we've, we're doing things that haven't been done here in a long, long time, mm-hmm. if ever. Uh, but at the same time, uh, there's another level that we want to take this to. And we know we still have a lot of hard work ahead of us and a really tough league in the SEC. Um, the SEC is known for football, obviously, I'm maybe number one, but women's basketball is right up there. I mean, just the competitive depth from top to bottom had the national champion last year with South Carolina, um, both teams in the game with Mississippi State against. Just what's it like going through that conference each each year, and, and how much does that prepare you guys for for making deep runs into the NCAA tournament? Yeah, you know, it's, it's just an incredibly tough league, and, um, you know, you look around at other leagues, and I don't know that um, there's another league that has a parity from top to bottom, like we do in the SEC, and so truly, there's there's definitely not a uh, you know a night that you can take off or just show up. Uh, you got to bring your best, and you're playing against the best every night. So, but as a competitor, uh, I think it's a lot of fun. I don't know that you'd want it any other way. It's hard um, and challenging, but at the same time, it's it's so fun to be a part of that league. You know, I think with our league sending nine teams. Um, out of the 14 to the NCAA tournament the last couple years, uh, it's pretty impressive. You got two of our uh, of our league teams in the championship game. Um, no doubt, it's it's an extremely tough conference, but I think that's what makes it so fun. You all beat the eventual national champion South Carolina at home in a real exciting game last year. If I remember right, Sophie Cunningham made the game winner there at the end. And just is there anything you can take from that? Do you talk to the to the team at all about the fact that, I mean, you beat a team like that, the team that eventually won the national championship? You know, we don't spend a lot of time talking about that. I think, you know, everyone's aware that was a huge win for mm-hmm. us. And, you know, we've had a, a handful of those, I think, signature wins that you really want to get for your program to earn that respect on a national level. Uh, again, we're not we're not there yet, but we've, we've done some really nice things. Um, I tell you what, Mizzou Arena has been really, really good to us. And I completely credit uh, our fan support. This community has been outstanding. We've had some great crowds at Mizzou Arena. And, you know, that's been really fun to watch grow from the first couple of years that I was here. And you could hear a pin drop to <laughs> some of the, the crowds that we've been able to get now. And I think we had the highest success rate last year in the SEC in regards to uh, home conference wins. And so what a credit to, to everybody in this community to come out and support us and help us get that done. But uh, definitely big wins. But, you know, it's a season. It's a journey. And there's still that next level that we're trying to get our program to. When you play in the SEC, it offers you maybe a little bit of a uh, a luxury in that if you win enough games in that league, you're going to be in the NCAA tournament. But what's your – I mean, your all's non-conference schedule this year features Iowa. You're at Missouri State. Uh, Iowa, potentially. Uh, Kansas State, SLU, Illinois, Indiana. What's your uh, philosophy, your approach when you go to set up that non-conference schedule? 
Well, I think, it, you know, you, tr- you first of all, it's not nearly as easy as everybody thinks. You know, you set it up about um, a year and a half in advance. Mm-hmm. And so you're just kind of trying to predict what your team looks like um, and, and what other teams look like in regards to the RPI and strength of schedule. But um, it's definitely not a perfect science. Uh, we finally felt like we we're at a point that it was important for us to um, up the ante in regards to our non-conference schedule. And we definitely have, this will be the toughest non-conference that we've had so far. You know, you look at that Iowa tournament, you got Western Kentucky, uh, Quinnipiac and, and Iowa who are all um, NCAA tournament teams. I think Iowa missed it last year, but they've been there every, every year prior to that for several years. And so, and, and then some of the other uh, schools that you had mentioned, we got Cal on the road. Um, so it's, it's definitely going to be a challenge, but I think our program was at the point that we needed to be challenged at that level. And to be honest with you, um, there's a lot of uncontrollables, but one thing that we want to put ourselves in position to do is perhaps host that first round. Um, and so you've got to be a a top 16 team to be able to do that. Mm -hmm. And you've got to have that RPI and that strength of schedule that support that. And you've got to be able to win those games. And so trying to put ourselves in a position to have a chance to do some things in the postseason as well. And obviously, like we mentioned at the beginning, I mean, a lot of excitement now for two basketball programs at this school. And and I just want to ask you, like, can there be a benefit for all the excitement for the men's program? Can that help? And obviously, attendance has increased and you guys have have picked up a lot of momentum in the last couple of years. But can can that bleed over and, and help your guys program at all as excited as the fan base is for the men? You know, I definitely think it does, and I'm really excited for them. I think Hanzo's done a great job so far uh, with that team, and, you know, those guys are working really, really hard. And so I'm excited for them as well. Uh, I feel like, uh, you know, there's a part of me that's just, hey, fans, don't leave us. We still need you too. (laughs) I know everyone's really excited about the men's side, and and we are as well. But, um, you know, just make sure we carve out those windows to come out and support us too because we don't do what we do on our home court without that support. But at the same time, I just think from a national level for recruiting, it probably impacts us more that way than anything, just that marketing brand that's out there. Um, you know, there's you got ESPN, the SEC Network. you got so many people talking about Mizzou men's basketball, but the key thing is Mizzou's out there uh, in the national spotlight. I think mm-hmm. that benefits uh, everybody in our athletic department as well as our university. Um, Mizzou Madness coming up following the homecoming game against Idaho. Uh, lots of fans going to be at the football game and – most likely shift over to Missouri Arena an hour after. Just how excited is your team for that, and what kind of can fans expect to see from from your all-squad there? Yeah, you know, unfortunately, it just kind of got on the books, uh, so we haven't had a lot of chance to prepare for it. Uh, but I still think it's going to be a great event. I think, you know, it is a chance for, to meet and greet. And that's probably the biggest part of it, just to, um, you know, the opportunity for our players and our staff to interact with the, with the community and our fans and our boosters and let them know how much we appreciate them. Uh, I'm sure the highlight of the event will be the dunk contest. Uh, I got to believe everyone's excited about that. But uh, I think just a chance to, you know, meet and greet the new kids and, and see the returner players and, uh, um, that opportunity that we have time to spend time with our with our fans. Wanted to ask you a few more minutes here with Robin Pinchin, and uh, you've been at Missouri long enough now to to kind of understand the culture. And I've covered, uh, I went to school here and have covered them for 15 years. And one thing you always hear is, you know, Missouri's ability to attract the local talent. How unique and how big is it, not only for your program but also for Conzos that. 
I mean, these aren't just, um, you know, players from anywhere that are leading the way here. These are like local Columbia kids that a lot of these fans grew up watching in high school uh, now leading both of these programs. How, how unique is that? I think it's really unique, and it's not nearly as easy as what most people think. You know, I think sometimes recruiting those local kids can be harder uh, than recruiting out of state because you just don't know, you know, do, do they want their college experience to be uh, away from home and kind of spread their wings a little bit, or do they want to represent the home state university? And obviously both of our programs really blessed with, with the players that we have in here uh, in our programs. And I think it's, um, you know, you grow up a diehard Mizzou fan. Um, you know, that definitely helps us for sure. I think it also helps that we're, um, you know, the, the University of Missouri and, and a lot of states have, you know, those two state schools or whatnot. And uh, in this state, just being the University of Missouri and uh, being able to keep those hometown kids home is has obviously been huge for us, and I think it's going to be huge for our men's team as well. And, uh, it, you know, it's really unfortunate that uh, Bree and Sierra and Michael and Jante's younger brothers and a couple years older could be, because I think a good thing for Mizzou Madness would just be like the Porters against another five. Like, I've never seen anything <laughs> like this family at one school. I don't know. You know, I'd, I'd be interested uh, to kind of do some research on that and see if that's ever existed, where yeah. you've got four siblings playing at a BCS Division One school. Um, it's a, it's definitely pretty unique, and what a fun storyline. What a great family. And, and from what we hear, they got all of their talent from mom. See, that's false information. I would go with the aunt. <laughs> oh, okay. The aunt was uh, okay. piece in that. I, you were doing <laughs> yeah, the training yeah. very early on, huh? Right. No, I can't take any credit. I tell you what, uh, my sister was an incredible player, um, you know, very disciplined, hardworking. Uh, Mike, my brother-in-law, uh, just a, a great player, great role model. They've, they've done a phenomenal job raising those kids, that's for sure. Well, Robin, we really appreciate your time. Mizzou Madness a week from Saturday and then straight into uh, exhibitions against Southwest Baptist and, and McKendree. I know coaches would always like to have a little more time before the first game, and, and like you said, players would always like to have a little bit less. Yeah, you're exactly right. You must have been a coach in your previous years. Uh, nobody has ever – I mean, I can give coaching advice, but nobody ever seems to want to take it. So I got gotcha, you. Yeah. I got gotcha. you. <laughs> All well, right. I really appreciate your guys' time. And, uh, again, just can't thank our fans enough. And um, really looking forward to seeing everyone coming out this year. And it uh, should be a fun year for us. All right. Well, thanks a lot, Robin. We will uh, thanks, see you guys. next weekend. Sounds great. Thanks. Robin Pinchton, Mizzou women's basketball coach. And, uh, like, it, it's interesting, Brian, the, the men's program, I mean, this is all turned around and happened in, what, six right, months? Yeah. Very quickly. This has been a process for Robin Pinchton. Right. And now it feels like, you know, we said when Sophie Cunningham came, Cunningham came here, that was a huge step for this program. And so they got one step better her freshman year, one mm -hmm. step better last year. It feels like now these next two years, this is when Missouri really needs to capitalize on having that kind of talent on campus. Yeah, with, with Sophia and Sierra Porter, and then, I mean, some other, Amber Smith, other talented players from around the uh, Missouri. I know they, they have a um, round tree, like yeah. uh, former basketball player Missouri's daughter here and stuff. So it, it's a it's exciting time. And like she said, the fans come out. They they draw very well for – They outdrew the men for a lot of games yeah, last year. That, that will not be the case this year. <laughs> no, not not likely. But uh, it, it's exciting. And they have a chance, uh, you would think, if they, if they can host 
a weekend yeah. in that first round and second round to make a nice little run and with Jordan Frick's returning some depth in the post and and the talent they have uh, with with Sophie and uh, Sierra. Yeah, that is the next logical step for this team. I mean, made the tournament two years ago, won a tournament game right. last year. Now, if you can get in that top 16 and there are NCAA tournament games at Mizzou Arena, you know, obviously huge. And, like, look, we, we want to – I'm sure there are fans out there going, well, why didn't you ask about the elephant in the room? Look, Robin Pinchton was hugely responsible for turning Jim Sterk on to Michael Porter and all the possibilities that could come with that, and we get that. A, it's a story that's been told. B, this was about giving Robin right. and her about team some About the women's basketball coverage. team. Yeah, the season, I mean, the big season yeah. they're kind of looking forward to here. Yeah, they, they, they obviously put in every bit as much time as the men do, so while that is a story, and I'm sure it will be told and written a number of more times, that wasn't really what we wanted to focus on here, but certainly appreciate Coach Pinchton. And again, there will be uh, Mizzou Madness next weekend. They do play a couple exhibition games at home. The men do not. They are uh, they are going to go and, and have a couple of scrimmages that are like closed door that right. we can't know about. I don't even know who they're against they, at this point. Before, didn't they go against Creighton a couple years in a row? They played Creighton a couple times, yeah, and, and I'm not sure. They've got two of them this year. I just don't know who they're against hmm. at this point. We might be able to to figure that out, but two scrimmages, no exhibitions, but as soon as we're done recording this podcast, and so probably before any of you guys are listening to it, Mizzou actually is opening practice for about 30, 45 minutes on the men's side this afternoon. I'm going to be over there. Uh, Jordan Codner, our photographer, is going to be there, so hey, we'll actually finally have a picture of Michael Porter in a Mizzou uniform to put on our front page, which will be uh, That'll useful. be nice. Yeah, quit using those Nathan Hale pictures and <laughs> yeah, McDonald's exactly. American pictures. It, exactly. So, uh, obviously, um, you know, basketball is ramping up. It is the busiest time of the year. At the same time, we're in the middle of football season. Mm -hmm. So in that light, we will turn to this weekend's game, and it is, um, I, I think, fair to say the toughest challenge on Missouri's schedule. Yeah. The Tigers have lost four in a row. They go to Athens, Georgia, and play the number four team in the country. In the Georgia Bulldogs, we're going to talk to Anthony Dasher, who has covered uh, Georgia football for Rivals.com. What, Dash, since the beginning of time? Since the beginning of time, right when they started to form, I've been covering the Bulldogs. You're exactly correct. There you go. So, uh, all right, this Georgia team is, like, I want to get your take. Like, all summer long, I was saying, I don't understand how you could look at the SEC East and not say Georgia is leaps and bounds more talented than anybody else. Did, was that the feeling going into the season in Athens? I don't know if I'd say leaps and bounds, but I did think Georgia was going to be the favorites. Again, just because of the players they brought back. I mean, on defense alone, mm -hmm. you know, Georgia returns, uh, you know, 10 of 11 starters from last year. Uh, a couple of all SEC guys. I mean, Trent Thompson, you know, Roquan Smith, and uh, some very good young depth uh, behind them. So I, I thought defense of Georgia was going to be very, very good. I don't know if I thought they'd be as good as they have been, but you know what I mean. They they have, have talent, and offensively, you know, there's going to be a, some some questions uh, that I think have been answered. Offensive line, I think, was a real concern going in, but the last three or four games, they've really started to chill and become a pretty good unit. Combine that with the fact that uh, you know Jake Fromm, true freshman quarterback, has come on and done everything humanly and possible to ask of him to to do, and combine that with a, a strong running game, I mean, strong special team in Georgia. Right now, it's playing as well as it's played as a, as a unit, as a team that I've seen in the past, what, 10, 15 years. Uh, it, it seems like 
for whatever reason, previously, Georgia always had games there. You kind of like they lost and they really sh- probably shouldn't have. Is there uh-huh. the fan base still worried about that or do they feel comfortable with this team with new coach Kirby Smart in his second year and, and it's going to be something different now? You know, I think fans always be concerned about having a letdown or something go wrong. I mean, we saw last week what you know, Iowa State was able to go into Norman and do to Oklahoma. So I think that fear is always going to be there. That being said, I, you know, I, I think one thing that Coach Smart has done at Georgia is he's done a very good job of, of changing the culture. I mean, you, your practices at Georgia are harder than what they see in games. I mean, guys are pushed to the very limit, and and therefore, I mean, we've seen the contest this year against some against some teams that. You know, George was heavily favored against. They came out, took care of business, and wasn't mm-hmm. a letdown. And I don't suspect that's going to be a problem with this team moving forward. Uh, so, Dash, you mentioned Jake Fromm. And um, it, it, first of all, I want to go back to last year when Georgia was here in that 28 27 game. And I, I remember talking to you guys at halftime and saying, Boy, Jacob Eason and Drew Locke, these kids look like they're ready to take over the SEC East the next couple years. Mm -hmm. And obviously, Locke kind of, I mean, he's shown flashes. He hasn't really progressed. And then Eason gets hurt and Fromm steps in. Is this going to be like a, you know, Wally Pipp, Tom Brady type situation where uh, (laughs) he has the job now and Jacob Eason's going to end up uh, finding someplace he can play down the road? Yeah, I've mentioned Wally Pipp a few times in describing the Georgia quarterback situation. And, yeah, I'm with you. I remember last year, man, you know, Jacob Beeson was the guy who was going to be a starter at quarterback for Georgia for three years. But, you know, he got hurt against Appalachian State. Jake Fromm comes in, another five-star performer. Mm-hmm. He comes in and just uh, hasn't, you know, he hasn't been – I won't say he's been spectacular. I mean, Georgia hasn't had to throw it much. He hasn't had to throw it more than 16 times going back over the past four games. But what he does, he, he – He's a winner. I mean, the words you hear thrown about, uh, around by other coaches is moxie, that kind of thing. He's just a, a guy who exudes confidence. That's something that his teammates on offense have, uh, have really picked up on, and they believe in this guy. So even though Jacob Eason, no, he's, I think he's still going to be a very good quarterback for somebody. I'm not so sure if it's going to be for Georgia yeah. you know, uh, moving on down the road. I mean, Georgia, as you probably know, just uh, got a commitment from Justin Fields, uh, right. another five-star quarterback to remind a lot of people of Deshaun Watson. And uh, so I, it could very, very well be a situation this time next year. We're talking about Jacob Eason probably playing back out somewhere out west where he's from. And he's already back now, isn't he? He's completely healed from the injury? He's completely back. Uh, he got in the game uh, uh, last week again at Vanderbilt. Uh, <laughs> was sacked on his very first play, blindside sack, falling <laughs> the ball, and that led to one of Vanderbilt's touchdowns. But uh, obviously went over very well with the fan base on, on the dog event. <laughs> but uh, he did come back and throw a complete three passes. But uh, – it just uh, it just underscores though that the you know that the the Jake Fromm is going to be the guy, and I know that's a bit a big big storyline for reporters like myself and Adams. But uh, I mean, you don't take you don't take Jake Fromm out when you're winning games, you know, by thirty mm-hmm. something points. So uh, yeah. it may not be the prettiest what he's doing right now, but uh, coach have a ton of confidence, guy. And if they have to throw the ball more, they think he can do it. Uh, Barry Odom said earlier this week, Georgia's got four running backs that could start for a, a lot of teams in the country. I mean, obviously Nick Chubb's leading the league in rushing. Everybody knows Son- uh, Sony Michelle. Uh, how deep is this backfield? It's deep. I mean, DeAndre Swift, the true freshman, uh, is uh, another. He's just another special kid. I mean, he's not. He's probably built more along the lines of Nick Chubb, about five nine, five ten, about two hundred fifteen pounds. Uh, the guy does not go go backwards. He's uh, been an extremely impressive young man coming out of the backfield catching passes. He's got one of the better spin moves as a running back you're going to see. And last 
week, you know, we saw Elijah Holyfield, son of a Vander, came in and broke for 51 yards on six or seven carries, scored his first uh, touchdown. And they've also got Brian Harrion, who uh, he was actually a third leading rusher last year. He's probably back. He's probably probably fifth on the pecking order right now for for Georgia. They've got so much depth running back, so it's a a good prop for Kirby Smart and Jim Cheney to to have. Uh, just a matter of. Uh, Come up different plays to keep them all. I won't say keep them all happy because they are happy, but keep keep everybody involved has been a challenge. If uh, Coach Heibel gave you a chance to help out the Missouri offense and 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 get some ideas on what might be a weakness for this Georgia defense, what what is something that maybe Missouri can try to attack on that squad? It just it seems he said that they're great at every level. the the front The front four of the the linebackers and the defensive backs. He said they are great at every level. Well, I maintain that the, the kind of quarterback that's going to give Georgia the most trouble is one who's going to be able to stand in the pocket, survey the field, and uh, and, and pick his pick his shots. I mean, Georgia with the speed on defense, especially on the perimeter. I mean, guys who have come in and tried to run the uh, run spread and try to get on the outside have not had much success. I mean, the Wimbush kid from Notre Dame was mm-hmm. completely knocked shut out. A uh, you know Taylor Lamb, Appalachian State, another one of those guys. Uh, you know. Uh, uh, you know um, can do could do well with his legs and his arm. He was shut down, but uh, it's been guys, uh, you know, this year who would be able to stand in the pocket and uh, and throw the ball. Like you know, actually, we saw from Tennessee early on in that ball game they had some early success, and uh, unless we get Vanderbilt, Shermer has some success standing standing in the pocket, watching the coverage and, and throwing the ball. So that would be probably my advice to to you know to, to Missouri is just to have have Drew Lock just sit back in the pocket and hopefully get some passes. To pass yeah. pro engine, just pick a spot. Well, and I think, I mean, the Missouri offense really struggled up until the Kentucky game. I don't know if Kentucky's any good on defense, and I can tell you, sitting through that four-hour game, every single person who played defense yeah. for Kentucky at some point got hurt in that game, so that might have helped too. Yeah. But um, the one thing that Missouri has done well, I mean, Locke's leading the country in 50-yard completions. Jamon Moore's leading the country in 50-yard receptions. To me, yep. and I want to be clear, this game is about Georgia. If Georgia plays well, Missouri can't win. But if Georgia's a little bit off, the way Missouri keeps this close and has a shot is A, hold on to the football, and B, like they're not going down the field six yards at a time against this defense. He's going to have to go up top, and he's going to have to hit deep balls. He will, and uh, he's going to have some opportunity to do that. We have seen Georgia hurt from time to time. Not a lot, but from time to time on some deep passes. Uh, from a you know back shoulder catch, we saw some Vanderbilt receivers do do a good job of that last week. So uh, I agree with you. I mean, Missouri's going to have chances to, to hit some plays like that, and when they do, they need to need to take advantage of them. Because again, not many people or back, nobody's running on Georgia right now. Mississippi State it did rush for 177, but about 100 of that was in trash time when the second third unit was in the game, and the game was 31 to, to nothing. So uh, uh, they're going to have to depend on Mr. Locke, I think, to, if they want to get this job done on Saturday. Uh, Mizzou versus Georgia defense. When Mizzou's on defense and they're going against Georgia, you mentioned that Fromm hasn't been passing a lot. They rely heavily on all those talented running backs. Is is that what you expect to see again this week? Just more of giving those guys the ball and letting them do their thing. Well, you know, we asked Coach Smart this week. Uh, you know, there's going to come a time in the season, some games coming up where Georgia's going to need to throw the ball to mm-hmm. win, and and if it would be a good idea to maybe, uh, you know. Again, you never take any game for granted, but but it may before some of your Florida and Auburn roll around. To, you, you can to, take it for granted; it's not going to offend us. Just <laughs> <laughs> see, see if uh, see if Jake Fromm can get some kind of passing rhythm. But he said no, so I fully expect Georgia is going to come come out and and do what they've done: try to establish the run, set a set up play action pass, and uh, and uh, and and do it just like they've done the previous uh, you know previous six ball games. 
Uh, you talk about, you know, Drew Locke going over the top. Jake Fromm was not afraid to go over the top either. We saw it last week at Terry Godwin. Mm-hmm. Um, had a had the uh, had a long touchdown pass to them. Against Mississippi State, the very first play of the game, Georgia throws a flea flicker, and they hit Godwin again for a long touchdown pass. And uh, so Georgia will, will take shots too. And Godwin, uh, incidentally, has a what twelve catches this year. Five of those have gone well for touchdowns, wow. uh, and every one of them has been for over over twenty five yards. So that's something Missouri we need to watch out from that that perspective. All right, so I kind of want to wrap you up with this. Look, you're picking Georgia. We're picking Georgia. Everybody's picking Georgia. We're not going to waste time with that. But Georgia's schedule now, after this, they get a bye. They're at Florida. Then if they if they beat Missouri and they beat Florida, Georgia's going to clinch the SEC East by beating South Carolina on November 4th. I, I mean, that's, yeah. uh, that's pretty crazy. Then November 11th game at Auburn. The way everybody sees the SEC, and I agree, is you've got three top 10 teams. I think Auburn, Alabama, and Georgia are all legitimate top 10 teams. So this is a long way of asking, what's the success for this Georgia team? Is it getting to the SEC title game and and putting up a fight? Because honestly, this looks like the closest the East has had a team in a long time that could maybe go into Atlanta and knock off Alabama. Uh, I agree. They've definitely got to get to the East for the, for the uh, I mean, win the East rather for the season to be a success. And, uh, but is just I, that I think, a success, do you think, or do they need well, to win that game? I, well, I, I think it's starting to get to where they've got to win the game. But everybody, I think everybody here is asking to realize how good Alabama still is, mm-hmm. and that's going to be quite a challenge to do that. But uh, you're starting to start to see a little a little more confidence among the fan base. Uh, they they sense, like a lot of people do, that Georgia could be in for a special year. And even though you haven't seen me or any of the – staff at UJ Sports uh, mentioned the, the key word is in playoffs. Uh, right. The farther they go along, you know, say Georgia and Alabama were to get to the title game both 12-0, and 0, then, uh, then I definitely think uh, all of a sudden those expectations are going to be to win the game, not just be closer to win it and move on to that next level. All right, then I'm going to I'm gonna have you play prognosticator here because this is the fun sure. stuff for me. So, <laughs> I, I mean, you mentioned the possibility of Georgia and Alabama both getting their 12-0. and 0. The possibility also exists, like, Georgia could lose to Auburn. Auburn could beat Alabama, uh, you know, yep. uh, and three teams could be 11-1. and one. It, Do you see – and I understand there's a lot of things that happen, but the Big 12 is going to play itself out of the playoff if TCU loses a game. So, do you yep. see a scenario where the SEC could see two teams – in the playoff, either maybe both teams that are playing in the title game or maybe actually like the loser of Auburn, Alabama, gets in with Georgia? Uh, it will be tough. Uh, I I think the key, though, is for, you know, if, if, if Georgia, Bama, and Auburn are all 11-1, I, I don't think it's going to happen. But, uh, right. again, if, if, if Alabama or, say, Georgia 12-0, somebody else is, you know, one loss, then maybe it does. Uh, I think the best chance for again for uh, two teams again is for both Georgia and uh, Alabama to both go in twelve and zero. Whoever loses game loses close, and I think you've got a real shot to have two teams. Otherwise, yeah, this this still going to be I think a little difficult to 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 squeeze two in. Well, here's what I'm rooting for because I like chaos and I like crazy stuff happening. <laughs> I want Miami to win the ACC. I want Georgia to win the SEC, and I want them to play Mark Richt in the playoff. Well, that's been one of the uh, prognostications I know I've seen. I think I've seen the uh, Georgia-Miami uh, matchup in maybe the, in the Capital One Bowl or the Peach Bowl, one of those one of those two, and that would definitely be one uh, people would uh, really be interested in playing. I know a lot of people wanted the two teams to play last year. It didn't happen, obviously. Uh, a little too close, I think. I know Georgia didn't want to do it. I don't think Coach Rick wanted to do it, being it just too soon. But uh, 
two years later, that that would be something I think that would uh, definitely have a lot of interest. I could I could I could see a chance of it happening if things start to break. All right, Dash, we appreciate your time, man. We're going to pay attention, I don't know, at least for like the first eight, nine minutes on Saturday. So. Uh, who knows, man? might be better than you think. All right, have a good one, buddy. Thanks, appreciate Dash. it. See you guys. Yeah. Anthony Dasher, he does as good a job covering the team he covers as anybody in our network, I think. Uh, those guys run no a heck of a site. Um, look, I don't want to spend a lot of time on this. There, The question really isn't can Missouri win. The question is can Missouri look decent? Right. Can Missouri cover the keep 31? That, right. Keep any any of that momentum they built with the how the offense played in the last three quarters against right. Kentucky. I mean, Georgia's got a chance to come in and just, like, smash all that. And, like, and, yeah. Missouri's back to whatever – Purdue, where they it, got – we're toying and, with 100 yards of total offense in the fourth quarter. Really, I think the key is for Missouri, like, you might get blown out in this game. Yeah. You can't let that – derail right like this game almost is like whatever let's go play it and whatever happens happens right then let's focus on the second half of the season where there are some winnable games yeah and a lot of winnable games like i said i bowl game i mean i think that's a little crazy it's a long at shot this point. very long shot but you know but but you've got not to, out of the realm of possibility yeah you can't let your season end if georgia beats you because georgia has won their last three games 117 to 17 yeah, that, and those are sec games yeah, they went to Vanderbilt, right, and won mm-hmm. easily there after embarrassed Al- Tennessee, yeah. embarrassed Mississippi State. Yeah, so yeah, they just they weather this storm. I mean, they're, it's like they're it's, good. Yeah, they're not bad. They're good. All those four and five star guys sometimes turn into good football well, players. Yeah, and let's kind of wrap up on this. Like you listen to Dash. Okay, so they got Jacob Eason, who I think was number one quarterback in the country. I think so. Yeah, he is, out of Washington, he State. goes down and they replace him with Jake Fromm. And, oh, by the way, they just got the number one player in the country next year to yeah. play quarterback. I mean, this is the difference between Missouri and these upper echelon right. SEC programs. Yeah, Missouri gets Drew Locke, and that's a big deal. Georgia gets Drew Locke every single year. Right. And some years, two of them. I mean, right. And I, mean, I don't what... know how you overcome that consistently. It's it's tough. You just you have to hope you develop those guys and you get them to where they're – that was kind of why this season they thought they might have a chance with Locke being a junior and some of these yeah. guys returning. The defense was always going to be a struggle, but I guess now you, you start to look at next year and say if we can I, build on top, they had the right mix of all these guys coming back, maybe. I, I, I think the difference between and in the upper echelon of the SEC, I put Alabama, Auburn, Georgia, Florida, and LSU. To me, right. those are the five teams that go in every single year saying next, our goal is Atlanta. Right. Our goal's Atlanta. They just recruit at that level with the right. type of players they get all the time. Tennessee and Texas A&M want to say that's their goal, but that's dumb. That's not. That's right. not them. They're not on that level. So you've got those five teams who are playing for Atlanta every year. The difference in being one of those schools and being Missouri is, I think when you're Missouri, you have to say, let's build to it, and like this is the year we think we can right. get there. And then we understand it's probably a step back, but then two or three years later, we think we can get there again, and I understand they went to back-to-back SEC title games. That's not going to be the norm here. I almost think, like, okay, it has to be next year, Drew Locke's a senior, we bring back all these guys, we need to make a run at this. Right. And then we're going to be breaking in a new guy, so maybe again in, like, 2020 or 2021. Right, you take a year or two where you're – you don't want to be – You replenish. As, you don't want to be as bad as they have been, Right, hopefully. you want your down years to be 6-6. Six and six. Right, exactly.
Yeah. And we'll see. That, that's that been kind of the model where that, that was the pink that was model, painful. essentially, and, and it worked well, and the fan base grew, and people got really excited about football. I think I think most Mizzou fans could live with that scenario. I mean, until they sustain that level of success for, I mean, years and years and years where people just know Missouri is a team that's always going to be in a bowl game. Or, I mean, mm-hmm. it, the evolution of the program and what people think of it isn't going to happen in 10 right. years. First, and, you have to be a team yeah. that a bowl game is kind of a given. And it was under Gary. Yeah. Now, I understand, hey, 15, 12, they didn't get there. 15, they didn't get there. But it was a shock when Missouri didn't make right. a bowl under Pinkle. And so that's the, the, the first step is getting to a bowl game. And the second step is making it the norm. And then the third step, maybe you can talk about sometime growing further than that and even i mean that's just i mean you're talking about 20 i mean and then it might never happen it is a lot easier to fall off that mountain because missouri was there right it's a lot easier to fall off that mountain when you're missouri than it is when you're georgia or nebraska or georgia ran mark ricked out of town for going nine and three every year And there were Georgia fans that wanted to fire Kirby Smart at 8-5. and five. And I promise you, if he goes to Jacksonville and loses to Florida, they're going to say he can't get it done there. The expectation at those schools is if you're not in the SEC title game, the year just it, – it's crap. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's the league you play in. So, uh, anyway, they're going to play this weekend. I guess we should make a prediction. What's your prediction? Oh, Lord. Let's see. 42 to – 20. All right. I uh, I think they cover. I don't think Missouri Actually, can score that much, but I do think they cover. I'm saying 37-13. 37-13? Yeah. Um, I, please put $0 on this <laughs> game based on Brian and I saying yeah, that. Yeah. Like, it don't, could very easily be 51-0. Yeah, no, it could. No doubt. <laughs> you know. So, anyway, um, we will have coverage of that going to basketball um, this afternoon. So, busy time of year. Um, Mizzou Madness, all kinds of stuff going on. Uh, I think they're still recruiting people, right, Brian? Yeah, they've extended three offers here recently to uh, just today to a JUCO offensive lineman, former teammate of Yasir Duran at Arizona Western, and I think also a Philly kid. So uh, some definite connections there. Um, Jeremy Banks, who's a running back out of Cordova, Tennessee, teammate of uh, O-Lyman thereafter. Uh, and then a cornerback committed to Virginia. Virginia. Yeah, F- can't quite think of Washington, his name. Washington, D.C. kid. Yeah, so, I mean, they're still – they're at that time of the year where they've had these top targets they were chasing hard and felt pretty good about, and now it's starting to with the not wins. Plan, plan Bs are coming yeah, into place. Yeah, Plan Bs are starting to emerge a little bit more, and they will continue to emerge. Yeah, so thanks to Anthony Dasher. Thanks again to Robin Pinchton. We wanted to uh, mm-hmm. make sure before the, the women's season started that we gave that program a little publicity. And we'll uh, we'll try to do that. Millions maybe get and Brian. millions of listeners on uh, the Power Mizzou podcast. Absolutely, right? <laughs> yeah. All twelve of you who are listening to this now sure know you more. Get women's season, <laughs> and that's an insult to us, not to Robin <laughs> Pinchton. But uh, anyway, so we'll try to do that. Maybe uh, throughout the year, get get people like Aaron Earlywine, Brian Smith, you know, Steve Beezer on at, at times when we have an opportunity to. Uh, busy time of year. Here we go. We'll be back next Thursday. I don't think we're gonna get a beat writer for Idaho, Brian. Why not? I mean, there is one. I'm sure there is. Could we get Mark Schlereth? Didn't he play at Idaho? Yes, he did. Maybe we'll get Mark Schlereth. Maybe we'll get Stink on the podcast next (laughs) week. We probably won't. We'll probably talk basketball. But anyway, whatever we do, make sure to listen. Thanks.